Everyone in life has a Heather. Who is Heather and why do we love to hate her through the ages? Heather was once synonymous with the archetypal popular mean girl, thanks to the 1989 black comedy about a group of deliciously wicked Heathers. Killing Heather be like offing the Wicked Witch of the West. Now, the Heather is back in a big way, thanks to the convergence of two TikTok trends. One, a series of lovelorn videos set to Conan Gray's song, Heather. The other, a lip sync to a scene from the Heather's musical. Shut up, Heather! Sorry, Heather! But these two help us define what the Heather is. She's the popular girl. Popularity is key to the Heather. Everybody loves me. I intend to keep it that way. She's not seen as a person, but part of a group or a social strata, one that feels impossible to reach, and maybe one that we place on too high a pedestal. She's beautiful and coveted, outrageously so. One time she met John Stamos on a plane, and he told her she was pretty. There's something angelic and otherworldly about her appearance that makes everyone, men and women, fawn. But inside, she's mean. As a group, the Heathers are an exclusive clique who look down on everybody else and wield their popularity like a weapon. They all want me as a friend or a f I'm worshipped Westerberg, and I'm only a junior. Partly, this meanness is tactical, but its intensity seems to come from the fact that she's unhappy. Harry never really wants to talk to me either. He travels a lot, like all year. I'm basically just by myself. When people get to know her, they realize she's pretty lonely. And she often has a deep rage that stems from dissatisfaction at not having more meaningful outlets for her considerable talents. Do you think I relish the fact that I have to act like Mary Sunshine 24-7 so I can be considered a lady? And she's voiceless. A lot of the time, we only see the Heather through other people's eyes. I've never seen anybody so glamorous. And so what we're actually seeing is our insecurities projected onto the Heather. Many of us can't seem to make up our minds about how we feel about this aspirational yet villainized figure, who increasingly can be of any gender. We may root against Heathers and plot to take them down, but at the same time, we can't help but admire and obsess over them. I could hate her, and at the same time, I still wanted her to like me. Because ultimately, they're more of an abstraction to us than a human. As Conan Gray explained his song, Heather, I think everyone has a Heather in their life. The person that I really, really liked was in love with Heather. They were not in love with me, and because of that, I hated Heather with all of my heart and soul. You can't help it. You're just really jealous of them, and, and um, you hate them a little bit, but you're also like, gosh, you're so perfect. Here's our take on the Heather, pop culture's most mysterious and most misunderstood archetype. This is The Take on your favorite movie shows and pop culture. Before we go on, don't forget to subscribe. And let us know what you're watching. Your support means so much to us. This video is sponsored by Gin Rummy Stars, a free-to-play friendly Gin Rummy game that you can play anywhere at any time. Right now, you can take advantage of a very special bonus. Click the link in the description below to download Gin Rummy Stars and get 1,000 coins free. This addictive game is super easy to learn and it lets me flex my mental muscles while having fun. It's really helped improve my strategy skills. So, how does Gin Rummy Stars work? Each player is dealt 10 cards. Then the goal of the game is to collect the highest number of sets and runs. A set is three to four cards of the same rank, and a run means three or more cards of the same suit and in consecutive rankings. You also want to avoid extra cards which are considered deadwood, meaning they aren't part of any combinations. In a nutshell, you're trying to achieve more points than your opponent. The game also has the special Joker Gin variant, which adds even more excitement to the game. Playing Gin Rummy Stars is my way of unwinding at home after a long day, and I also love to play it when I'm commuting and need a distraction. It's perfect because I can always open the game and play around, no matter where I am or what time it is. 
If you love classic card games and want the convenience of playing on the go, this is the game for you too. My favorite thing about this game is that you get to play live against other players around the world and there are great daily bonuses. Plus, you get to customize your own fun avatar. Want to join me at the Gin Rummy table and discover your new favorite game? Click the link in the description below to download Gin Rummy Stars for free and receive an amazing bonus of 1,000 free coins. The Heather is the embodiment of the mean girl archetype. Popular, privileged, and someone who cares only about herself. But why do we equate popularity with meanness? Surely, if someone is popular, we might assume they're extremely nice, personable, and beloved? Heather's The Dark Comedy, from which the trope takes its name, is actually at the root of a lot of our assumptions about the popular mean girl. The titular Heathers of the title are an elite clique who rule over their high school, treating everyone else with cruel disdain. I need you to forge a hot and horny but realistically low-key note in Kurt's handwriting, and we'll slip it onto Martha Dumchuck's lunch tray. It's significant that the film's protagonist is the only member of the reigning in-crowd who isn't a Heather. She's called Veronica. And whereas all the Heathers are sucked into the empty power mind games, Veronica is able to recognize the superficiality of high school popularity and eventually reject it. My date for the prom kind of flaked out on me. I was wondering if you were doing anything that night, maybe we could rent some new releases. Before the movie's release, the name Heather didn't have any connotation with villainy, but did have a connotation with popularity. In fact, Heather was the US's third most popular girl's name in 1975, having skyrocketed in popularity in 1969 after a successful Disney TV movie called Guns in the Heather, starring a young Kurt Russell. So given that context, the playful idea of three popular Heathers in one high school class in the late 80s isn't totally implausible. Yet what makes the film so different and influential is its sardonic, deeply dark tone. Did you have a brain tumor for breakfast? Which is completely unlike what was going on in high school movies of that era. Between 1984 and 1987, John Hughes helped redefine the high school movie with a series of films that tried to get inside the teenage experience, to treat teen characters and their concerns with more depth and weight. When you grow up, your heart dies. But Heather's black humor takes the teen movie into more horrific and irreverent territory. Writer Daniel Waters initially envisioned it with the idea, what if Stanley Kubrick made a teen movie? And it was inspired less by Pretty in Pink or The Breakfast Club than by the high school of Stephen King's Carrie, where another coterie of popular girls make the troubled protagonist's life hell before getting a violent comeuppance. Heathers uses this DNA to almost critique the John Hughes-style earnest assumption that every high schooler is truly a misunderstood, sensitive individual deep down. After the first Heather dies in the movie, and everyone believes it to be suicide, she's treated almost as a martyr for the rest of the school, and everyone suddenly believes her to be far more interesting and deep than she actually was. Thought she was your usual airhead bitch. Guess I was wrong. We all were. In actual fact, she and the other Heathers are just mean, calculating, shallow, and obsessed with their status and influence. In the film, this pattern repeats as numerous popular kids are murdered, but thought to commit suicide, and the public reimagines them as deep people. Suicide gave Heather depth, Kurt a soul, Ram a brain. Then when an unpopular girl actually attempts suicide, no one cares, revealing that what people are truly romanticizing isn't so much these individuals as their popularity itself. And the ruthlessness just adds to the popular Heather's mystique. As the film's writer Daniel Waters wrote on the film's 30th anniversary, when men are assholes, they are pretty straightforward and stupid about it. When women are mean to other women, it's completely fascinating. The mean popular girl has become a staple of the high school drama ever since. 
Libby Chesler in Sabrina the Teenage Witch, Sharpay Evans in High School Musical, and Christy from Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion all cleave to that trope. Christy Master stuck magnets on your back. What? She stuck magnets on Michelle, you do have magnets on your back. And what defines them is a sense of inauthenticity. In Recess, the Ashleys are essentially the Heathers transposed to an elementary school environment, but wield the same influence over the school and use their elite status to project a public image at odds with who they really are. If it isn't the can drive king himself, what are you doing, king? Getting advice on how to lose from your non-collecting subjects? Now he's working his butt off, unlike you weasels who just get your moms and dads to buy the cans for you. Similarly, in Mean Girls, the naming of the popular crowd as the Plastics conveys the idea that they are somehow fake. While much of Regina George's mystique is based on over-the-top legends that make her seem larger than life. I hear her hair is insured for $10,000. I hear she does car commercials in Japan. In Election, we see how this inauthenticity of popularity can be leveraged for more concrete influence as teens graduate into the adult world. Hyper-overachiever Tracy Flick uses her popularity and resulting student body president title to translate into eventual political power. On top of a very successful student council year, I was in the top 7th percentile of my graduating class. Opposed? And I got into Georgetown like I wanted. With scholarships. That inauthenticity is at the root of our fascination with the cruel Heather. If they project one version of themselves to the world in order to rise up in the ranks of society, who are they underneath that? As much as the Heather may be widely hated, when I looked at her, I was like, God damn, I wish you didn't exist. At the same time, we still place her on a pedestal. She was just like the most wonderful person you could ever meet. She was beautiful inside and out. She's the prom queen, the head cheerleader, an ethereal beauty who inspires some confusing mix of resentment, envy, and worship. The Heather trend on TikTok began with this version of the Heather, inspired by Conan Gray's song of the same name. In the song, Conan's love interest has been stolen away by this mysterious Heather, but he's still conflicted on how he feels about her. She's such an angel, kinda wish she were dead. While the song is obviously very personal to Conan's experience, it's also deliberately ambiguous, which has contributed to so many people being able to apply the song's story to their own lives and identify their own particular Heather. For one thing, despite Grey refusing to comment on any speculation that he may be queer himself, the song feels queer-coded. Since it's a guy singing about an unnamed partner who chose a girl over him, one of the couplings in this triangle would have to be same-sex. If the person in the song is a guy who chose Heather, part of Heather's desirability could be rooted in traditional gender norms. And either way, the song is evoking a deeper sadness of loving someone who doesn't have the same orientation as you. So today, the Heather is desirable, so much so that they're potentially desired by both sexes. With that in mind, perhaps the most notable musical antecedent to Conan Gray's Heather is Dolly Parton's Jolene. I said, you are the prettiest thing I've ever seen. And I said, what is your name? And she said, Jolene. Structurally, the song is almost identical, with Dolly's character rhapsodizing about and pleading with this woman not to take her man. But it has also become something of an unlikely queer anthem in recent years. People have read deeper into Dolly's idealization of Jolene and rewritten or remixed it to make that reading more explicit. In both songs, the singer places the Heather on a pedestal, and she becomes this perfect version of femininity. But she's also a projection of the narrator's insecurities and everything they want or want to be. The Heather's desirability is because she represents everything the narrator is not. 
And we see this on TikTok when people describe past versions of themselves as Heather. This dynamic plays out between the more meek, virginal Anita and popular sexy Jennifer in Jennifer's body, with Anita diminishing her own self-worth as she idolizes Jennifer to an extent that is almost read as queer by other members of the school. People found it hard to believe that a babe like Jennifer would associate with a dork like me. We're totally lesbian. Jennifer becomes the villain of this film, and in that regard, follows the same mean girl Heather tradition. What is wrong with you? What's wrong with you? Besides the obvious surface flaws. But crucially, her villainy is given to her by men, the rock band who perform a human sacrifice on her, and in doing so, turn her into a succubus. Her personality is literally stripped away from her and replaced with something else, showing the negative side to being placed on this pedestal. You're vulnerable, and people might not treat you with respect or see you for who you truly are. This gets at something important about the Heather. She's not inherently villainous or mean. A lot of what we assume about her personality says more about us, the people projecting onto her. When we find out more about the Heather, sometimes the reality is not what we would have expected. I'm the Marsha Brady of the Upper East Side, and sometimes I want to kill myself. In the high school reunion episode of 30 Rock, we're led to believe that Liz Lemon's old high school bullies were the Heathers of their day. But when confronting them as an adult, she realizes that she was the bully, and they all lived in fear of her. I tried to befriend you just so you'd leave me alone. Hey, Liz, how's the telescope? I don't know, Kelsey, how's your mom's pill addiction? Liz had fallen into the trap of the Heather and seeing the popular girls as mean and clicky just because they were popular, without finding out who they actually were. I was a nobody, you were homecoming queen. I have had years of therapy. In the 90s high school horror, The Faculty, the characters are introduced as representing these well-worn stock high school archetypes. The jock, the nerd, the goth, and in the case of Delilah, the Heather. Okay, now listen up. We're all wearing the same uniforms, let's keep the hair the same. Okay, no hairspray, no teasing, just elegant. Simple. But the film then sets about dismantling these tropes with the help of an alien invasion. The nerd becomes the leader, the dropout becomes the science genius, and it's not Delilah who turns out to be the villain, but the meek Veronica-esque new girl Mary Beth. On the one hand, this feels very in keeping with self-referential postmodern high school movies of the 90s, but it also speaks to how we shouldn't judge the Heather by what we think they might be like, as they might end up surprising us. It can be such a... What? Pretty cool human being, and you're not being a first-class grade-A bitch. Part of the problem of us prejudging the Heather comes, again, from the fact that she's rarely allowed to tell her own story. In The Virgin Suicides, the story of the Lisbon sisters is told through flashbacks from men who obsess over them and mourn them, but didn't really know them. In the end, the film feels deliberately unresolved, as if the stories of these girls can never be accurately or fully told by other people, and so instead we get something incomplete and unsatisfying. We find ourselves in the corner going over the evidence one more time. All to understand those five girls. In recent years, we've seen a more nuanced look at this Heather archetype that doesn't just see the popular girl as a mean girl, and instead affords her more depth. In Dear Evan Hansen, we initially view the world solely through Evan's eyes, and so cheerleader Alana is seen as the typical confident, put-together popular girl who probably wouldn't give Evan the time of day. Go Bobcats! She's this overachiever who's constantly moving, constantly pushing herself harder and harder and harder. But once we start moving away from Evan's point of view, we realize this isn't the whole story. Alana has her own troubles, and the image of herself she presents is really a defense mechanism to prevent people from seeing how much she's truly hurting. 
You know, you don't really act like a depressed sort of person. There are a lot of people who feel like us. On the other side of the coin, Cruel Intentions Catherine is a typical Heather, but denying who she truly is. Having to repress her sex-positive scheming self to pretend to be a Christian good girl is causing her almost unbearable angst, and that's probably the main source of her cruelty. It's alright for guys like you in court to everyone, but when I do it, I get dumped for innocent little twits like Cecile. God forbid I exude confidence and enjoy sex. Sometimes the moment we can really connect with the Heather is when we learn they're actually not living the perfect life we assume the popular girl lives. This brings them off the pedestal and helps us see them as a human being for the first time. In Bridesmaids, Helen is the Heather who seeks to undermine Annie at every turn. And that's it for tonight. Thank you for coming. Really quick. Thank you all for coming. I just wanted to say really Dessert quick. Dessert wine is out. But as the film progresses, it's revealed that Helen actually hates her life, and her lavish, put-together persona is again just a front for a lonely person who has no friends. I don't have any female friends. There's a sense of schadenfreude in seeing someone who's been so mean throughout the film now at their lowest ebb. This is the first time I've ever seen you look ugly. But in seeing the real side to her, we, through Annie, stop envying her so much, which leaves space to empathize. Hearing from the Heather helps challenge our assumptions and maybe stops us being so obsessed with comparing our lives to theirs. Targeting the Heather often seems okay because it feels like punching up. One of the reasons the 2018 Heather's reboot failed was because it turned the social dynamics of the original on its head, making the popular crowd people who are typically marginalized, but still making them mean and villainous. I am a mountain lion, and you're a cross-eyed dumpster cat." In other words, the reboot misread the room and ended up punching down, sending a confusing message about people of color and queer people bullying straight white kids. Still, maybe in the process, it did at least reveal just how flimsy concepts of popularity are. Popularity is currency in high school, and a lot of these stories trying to get at what it's like to be popular are trying to understand what it means to have that influence. Does it empower you, change you, give you a power that you're not ready to wield responsibly? Or does it scare you, destroy you inside, remove you from reality? Does it prepare you too soon for a type of adulthood that's going to be equally empty, dark, and unfulfilling? It's just like, there are people I work with and our job is being popular and shit. <laughs> Maybe if we started hearing more from the Heather, we'd finally be able to figure out the answers to these questions. Then again, maybe it's more fun to revel in the mystery of her. Regina's like the Barbie doll I never had. If you're new here, be sure to subscribe and hit the bell to be notified about all of our new videos.